What? I think you dropped your Bible. That's not mine. No, I'm pretty sure I saw you drop it. It's no, that's not mine. Get out of here. No, Lord. Now, I've never seen a more contradictory statement than this one. That we can tell someone who's our Lord, someone who's our captain, maybe he's our sergeant. No. And yet, here's the thing about Christianity over the last hundred or so years, perhaps. It's become a cultural thing in so many places where there have been Christians or people who claim they're Christians showing up at churches. And while showing all the outward signs, serving in ministries and being elders and everything else, they ultimately were only going because that was the thing to do. In a sense, with all of their life, they were saying, yes, Lord, with their outward appearance, but inside they were saying, no, Lord. Tons of children being brought to church week in and week out, made to do all these different things or feeling in their hearts, why am I even here? I have to do it because I have to. And so it's no wonder that in the time that has gone on now, we see that the newest generation that's rising up is being called the generation of the nuns. And I don't mean like those little old ladies running with hassocks. No, I'm talking about somebody who claims no religion as their own. They're none. They're not ready to say, I'm a Christian, because they're not ready to claim it for a cultural reason. In fact, what they'd rather claim is none at all. And what I find that more honest. I find that more fascinating. And yet what we see here is that this no Lord attitude is what has brought a lot of people who would go to church to eventually walk away and say, you know what, I'm not a Christian after all. I may have looked like it, but I'm not. Because I don't like what Jesus says. I don't like this or that. And if we were to stop for a minute and examine our own hearts, I think we would begin to see that in all of us is a no Lord mentality, is a no Lord attitude that wants to push God back, that wants to say, hey, I can do it myself. This is for me. Now, as we get into this, we're going to see a man. His name is Jonah. Many of us think that we know Jonah. You've heard the story of Jonah. Maybe you've been in children's ministries or if you've picked up one of the books or you've watched a VeggieTales movie about Jonah, but you've come to this conclusion that I know what the book of Jonah is about. It's a big fat whale and a kid getting eaten and all this stuff. And it's like, well, time out. I want to challenge you because as we get into the book of Jonah, as we get into this series in the book of Jonah, we're going to find a no Lord attitude written on every page. And it's going to be like a mirror to us. It's going to challenge us. And we're going to discover some things as we dive in. Number one, we're going to discover that our heroes aren't who we thought they were. That oftentimes a lot of these heroes we think are heroes, like Jonah, actually isn't. We're going to find out this isn't about a whale or a fish at all. We're going to find out this isn't about a prophecy. We're going to find out that this is about a no Lord attitude. Now, give you a disclaimer. If you're not a Christian, you're exploring Christianity, you're watching this right now and you're thinking, Jonah, why would I watch, why would I listen to this? Isn't that that book with that fish and all that? If you think it's about a fish, if you get caught into all the minor details and, oh, God can't do this, and you're going to deny God because of a fish story, man, I've taken you down the wrong path. What I want to challenge you with is I want you to consider that this book, which has been put together and is considered a, a masterfully crafted story, is more sophisticated than you could possibly imagine. 
and I want you to dive in. I want you to look at this. I want you to let it challenge you with the actual narrative of the text, with the actual background and the truths that are going to spring out to you, because this book is far deeper than a kid's story. It's way more than a miracle with a fish. It is one of those books that's going to flip and fillet us open and challenge all of us about our attitudes when it comes to God. So are you ready? Let's begin Jonah. If you've got a Bible, grab it, open up here to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to be examining only the first few verses because there's a lot packed in this book, and I need to open it up for you guys as we get moving. So as you got a Bible, grab it, open it up. You'll find it in the Minor Prophets. That's in the end of the Old Testament. So if you're New Testament stuff, go to the left. If you're kind of things like Psalms or, or Jeremiah, Ezekiel, go right. Jonah's there. And, and it's a small book. It's only three chapters long. And it's by a man named Jonah. He was a prophet. And he's interesting because when you pick the book up and you read what the author is doing, he starts you off with this term. He says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, we'll just pause right there. This is a standard start for any prophetic book. If you're going to be looking through the, these little minor prophets, these little smaller prophets, you're going to run into that statement a lot. Now, I'll give you an example here in the book of Joel. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. See, you see this pattern that there's the word of the Lord that was coming to this person. And when you were a general Hebrew, just a, a young Jewish kid reading this text or an old Jewish man reading this text, you would assume this book is about a prophecy. This book is going to tell me something about the near future, about God's displeasure with us or something like that. It's going to be poetic and it's going to have this oracle in it and all this stuff because it starts off with now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. But what you're going to find out is that it's not in there at all. This is a book that actually is about a prophet rather than the prophet's prophecy. This is a book that's about Jonah rather than what Jonah is going to tell us. And yet at the same time, this story is going to hold a mirror up to it. See, this is going to take us in a different direction. The book of Jonah is actually a satire. Wait, 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 say what? No, time out here. A satire? What do you mean by a satire? It's a satire. It's, it's taking something that's true in this world and it's exaggerating it. And you're going to find in the text that things are exaggerated. They're, they're blown out of proportion. They're great cities and great big fishes and great big walks and great big plants and everything's huge. It's almost like a comedy, a comic. Everything's giant and big. Well, does that mean it's not true? No, no, you got to understand. What Jonah is doing as he's taking us in this journey is he's showing us the largeness of this and, and making fun of it in a way that it makes us go, oh my goodness, that's so true. Like I'll give you an example. It's like a this book is honestly like a, a Babylon B article. Like, like take this Babylon B article here. You know, Southern Baptists announced crackdown on fun, right? We're on the inside joke. We think that's hilarious, the Southern Baptists. We're like, oh, no, we're not allowed to have fun anymore. The, the, the denomination shut it all down. Because uh -huh. yeah, we got to be staunchy, Southern Baptists, right? That It's making fun of us because it's so true. So many Southern Baptists, they don't want to have fun. They do feel staunchy and shut down and closed off. So we're just make it that way. That's what satire is about. You step back and you laugh at yourself because it's so true. That's what SNL is about, right? Saturday Night Live is trying to make you laugh at the political arrangements and the weird things that we do as human beings by making satire of it. And when you laugh at it, what you're actually laughing at is not them. You're laughing at our culture. You're laughing at our own foolishness. You're laughing at yourself. Satire is a powerful mirror to reveal the truth. 
Satire is a powerful mirror that when it works, is supposed to challenge us. And that's exactly what Jonah does. It acts to challenge us. It acts to, to push us in a direction to reveal our hearts by revealing the absurd. See, this book is so upside down. We're going to run into pagans being faithful and a prophet who's not. Everything's going to obey and he's going to reject. You're going to have everybody repenting, including the cows. I mean, this is just exaggerated stuff. And the point is, it's far from a cute kid's book. It's a challenge to our hearts to ask us a question about our faithfulness with God. Do we have a no Lord attitude? In fact, I believe Jonah wrote this and wanted us to understand it. In fact, Jonah was a historical prophet. We began back here in 2 Kings chapter 14, and it actually reads this. I'll read you the beginning, and then this comes up. It says, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria. And he reigned 41 years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. Now, this is fascinating. We're talking about a guy named Jeroboam II. He's the king of Israel, and he is actually doing evil in the sight of Yahweh, the Lord, the God of Israel. And the way he was doing this, he was actually setting up these different ways of worshiping God that were not called for. In fact, they were mixing together all different kinds of religious perspectives. So you had to go to a place called Samaria where he was ruling. And in Samaria, here in this map, you see that Samaria is this location of where they would put these two bulls and people had to come and worship two bulls that were considered Yahweh. Included in that were high places all over the place having Baals, which means master or Lord on top of it. And so there was this confusion about who was God and how was Yahweh God? Is he one of the Baals? How does this work? And this man had brought about idolatry and continued to bring it out. This guy isn't good. This guy is wicked. God doesn't like Jeroboam. He is actually saying he did evil in his sight. And yet what happens next is fascinating. See, Jeroboam restored the border of Israel from Labo Hamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah. According to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant, there he is, Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who is from Gath Hefer. Now, Gath Hefer is actually near modern day Nazareth up in the Galilee area. There's actually some cool places that are celebrating Jonah and they loved Jonah up in Galilee. But that's a side note. What we see here, though, is that this man from Gath Hefer was called by God to go down to Samaria, walking amongst all the idolatry, seeing all of the disgusting display of, of hating the very Lord that he served. And he was there to bring an announcement. And his announcement wasn't judgment. His announcement was God is going to restore the borders back to the Abrahamic borders, back to what God had given promise and Solomon had seen. This is incredible because it spreads out and we see that he restores them and is blessed. Jeroboam, the king who is rebellious, receives a blessing by Jonah. See, Jonah ends up preaching grace to this immoral nation. Now, I, I, we don't know if he loved that or he disliked that. We're not sure. He loves Israel. He keeps Israel central. And I think he's thinking, yeah, thank you, God. This is awesome. Now, what has gone on here is that we have this 
prophet now who is willing to go to broken places that God is angry about, and he gives them grace. In other words, jo Jonah likes to preach that God loves to rescue rebels at their worst. God loves to do this. He loves to give them blessings and rescue them from their difficulties. And in fact, this is the preaching that Jonah knows. It's going to show up over and over in the book of Jonah. And so it's no wonder that Jonah shows up at the beginning here. This prophet who's been faithful to preach already, the, the word has come true by his mouth. And he steps out and he begins to receive the word from the Lord. Again, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for the e their evil has come up before me. Now this is critical. See, now God sees the evil of this place called Nineveh, and he's going to send Jonah out. Now, Jonah is being called to the most brutal of enemies that Israel has seen. You got to understand, Nineveh is an interesting city. It's an on-again, off-again capital city of a group called the Assyrians. Now, the Assyrian Empire was a massive and brutal empire. These people were led by a man named Salomon Seir III. Interesting guy. And what he does is he literally conquers all kinds of places with brute force and brutality. And when he dies, everything starts to break up and the city of Nineveh becomes its own kind of little nation state. And it's at this time that the borders expand, according to Jonah's prophecy. And now Jonah's going to go talk to them. But Jonah doesn't want to talk to these guys. This is like him being called to the Nazis in the middle of World War II. The Assyrians are brutal, cruel, terroristic, evil people. They would approach and they would use brutality as a very weapon. First, they would surround your city. And as they would attack your city, shooting arrows in it and starving you out, if you came out, they would do one thing. They would capture you. And if you were a soldier, well, they would have some fun. They would put you on a stake in front of the city. Put you on a spike, as this picture shows. They would take the leaders when they were captured, and they would skin them alive in front of everyone to watch. They would pile the skulls of those who they had killed in pyramids in front of their own capital buildings to ensure that there was complete terror when it came from the Assyrians. These guys are bad dudes, man. They're evil, and they've killed hundreds of Israelites, thousands of Israelites, people Jonah probably knew. And Jonah is told, hey, God sees this evil, and I want you to go to this city. I want you to go to these people. And so Jonah's going to be a preacher. He's going to get out there. He's like being told to go to North Korea and go preach that they needed to repent, right? This isn't safe. This isn't fun. This doesn't look good. And Jonah knows that he likes to go preach, and God gives grace to things, as we'll find out later. And so he is sent to a difficult people, to an evil people. But this isn't unlike our calling. This isn't unlike what God has called you and me to do. You see, when we became Christians and Jesus stood upon that, that Mount of Olives before he ascends into heaven, he actually told us that we had a calling. The word of the Lord came to you. The word of the Lord came to me through Jesus. And he said this, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. You got first realized this was sent to and told to Jewish men. 
to the 12 apostles, to the other disciples who were standing around. Go to the nations. I love that we translated that way. It used to be translated the Gentiles. To the dirty, disgusting, pagan, idolatry-worshipping, sexually immoral, uh, witchcraft-oriented, um, you know, spiritualists called the nations. The Gentiles. This is exactly what we are. And if you don't have Jewish blood, if you didn't come directly from the Jewish lineage, my friends, we're the Gentiles. It came to us, and we need to be called to go take this message to the Gentiles as well. To people who are unlike us, who we would consider our enemies. And stop and ask yourself, who would you struggle to bring the gospel to? Who would you struggle? Is it, is it an ex-spouse? Is it an old friend who's done some harm to you? Is it an old coworker? Is it somebody in a different political party than you? Are we finding certain sinners so disgusting we would never go to them? We would never give the gospel to a pedophile. Man, those drug users are so gone. You can't change them. You can't help them. Man, those gang members are too dangerous. We would never go near them. Oh, them rich celebrities, you know, the rich people, that 1%, they, they don't need Jesus. Who is it that we would never desire to give the gospel to? Because guess what? We've even been called to our enemies. We've been called to all the nations. We've been called to all these different people. We don't get to say to the Lord, no, Lord, I'm not going to do that. And this is where our story with Jonah begins to take shape. It's where everything begins to happen because Jonah, like you and like me, has been sent to our enemies. We've been sent to bring the gospel to those who hate God, who may even hate churches, Christians, who may don't like, maybe don't like you personally. And we've been called to bring a message of hope and salvation to them. We've been called to them because, hey, their sin has come up before God. And now, hey, we've got some work to do. See, the problem is Jonah doesn't go. Says Jonah rose, and we think, oh, he's going to go. Nope. To flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Say, what? He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Now, here's the point. Jonah fled. Jonah fled from giving the gospel to his enemies. Jonah fled from getting out there and giving the message, the word of God, to those who are against him. Jonah fled from the calling that God had put on his life. And the bottom line is we all run from God's call. We all try to escape what God is telling us to do. We all try to go do our own thing. We all try to say, no, Lord. Everybody does eventually at some point. We don't want to do this. We don't want to do that. I don't want to hear it. And Jonah runs from his calling. He doesn't want to bring that message to his enemies. He wants to go the opposite direction. And he ran away. Now, you and I, we may run away. You want to run away physically? Some of us do. God's called us somewhere and we change jobs. Or we move out of the state. Because, ah, we couldn't reach those people anyway. We, we take a different street and cross on the other side and we see somebody coming. We may literally, physically get out of the way and not go to the locations like a bar or some kind of club or something where we can actually meet non-Christians to engage with them because what would they think? What would they think of me going to Assyria? What would they think of me going to Nineveh? What would they think? Well, we're called, and yet all of us at some level run away. You know, when maybe we run away mentally. Maybe it's just, we just don't want to think about this, Greg. Just be quiet. I want to talk about the fish. 
Is it really a miracle or not? It's not about the fish. The question is, are you mentally pushing God away? Are you trying to ignore that this message is for us? Are you trying to just say, hey, you know, I've got my reasons. I'm too busy. You know, I'm good. I'm going to run away and push it by. I don't need to do this. God didn't call me to that. I'm not an evangelist. You know, what? And here's the point. We all run at some level. We all push it off at some level. We try to ignore that God has given us a calling to bring a message to the nations, a calling to be a part of that kingdom of God and to make it happen. Guys, this is critical. And what's crazy is Jonah just doesn't flee. He goes to a place called Tarshish. Now, you notice it shows up three times. Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish. And so he goes down to, into Joppa, which is in, down south, and he finds this place called Tarshish. And he goes off to Tarshish, and it's away from the presence of the Lord. The interesting thing is, if you dive into the Bible and you start looking up the times the word Tarshish shows up, there's only a few of them. And all of them indicate, one of them is Solomon, indicates that he's gaining all this wealth from the ships of Tarshish. Uh, another one is that God hates that wealth and so destroys it on the oceans, because the whole point of Tarshish was this faraway land that was filled with wealth and prosperity and goods that would make life comfortable and wonderful. It was in a sense like a, a false Eden. You know, it's Eden where there was wealth and food aplenty and, and all the animals and the exotic peace and all these things. Well, this is a false Eden. It's away from the presence of the Lord where Eden is God's throne room. Eden is where God wants us to be. Tarshish is far, far away from the presence of God. Tarshish is, is where I don't have to think about God and I can have all my comfort and all my stuff. And this is the point. We all have a Tarshish we run to. You may be running from God's call, but you don't run to something difficult. See, when we run, we choose comfort over calling. I'd rather sit and honestly watch Netflix than have to engage with my non-Christian friend. I would rather just, you know, ban you know, take everybody off my Facebook page and not get into the gospel presentation because it always turns bad. You know, I would much rather not have that person phone call them. I don't want to go to that Thanksgiving dinner. I would choose comfort over calling all the time. In fact, the sad thing is in my own heart, I got to admit, I do that too. We can choose the comfort over the calling, whether it's going to watch that sports game or to get busy and take our kids to all those different events and sit down with a good book or just I'm going to study my Bible even more and more and more or, you know, I'm just going to exercise and focus on something else. I'm going to let my mind think about politics or think about money. Or, Guys, we all have a Tarshish to run to, something that is comfortable to us, something that calls us and tells us we can have almost like an Eden. We can have all that we want without the need to follow God's call. And there's a danger in that. There's a very deep danger in that when we choose comfort over the calling. See, what will happen is that it turns worse. See, notice the language again of the Bible. It's intentional. These words aren't just there. It says, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. That was repeated twice. And so how do you get away from the presence of the Lord? Well, in the Hebrew cosmology, we'll go over that a little bit more next week. Up is where God is and down is away from God, right? And so here we go. He went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it. Why do we need to keep saying goes down? In fact, he'll keep going down. And every time we go down, he goes down into the ship. And he'll go down into the whale. And it's all these down, 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 down. Why is he going down? Because he's going away from the Lord. 
He's going down. And look, every single time we take a step away from our calling, every single time we move, we go spiritually down. We, we run to something else. We, we run from the call and we run toward a dead life. We run away from life. If you run from the calling of God, if you run from what he's called you to do, so you can have a better marriage, say. I'm going to run from what God told me because i got to clean up my marriage. I'm going to run from what God told me to do because I want more finances. I've got to get a better job. I'm going to run because I need a better body. You know, i got to have a better diet. We've got all kinds of reasons to run from God to get our comfort down, but you'll ultimately find out that your life is boring. Your life is down and away from God. You're going to feel spiritually dry. You're going to feel spiritually distant. You're not going to sense the presence of God because you're moving towards spiritual death when you walk away from your calling. So I've always said evangelism is the afterburners of the faith. When you engage with people in evangelism, when you engage, man, you'll really start feeling the presence of God. He'll be near you. But when you're not, guess what? You're going to have plenty of time to watch that television show. You're going to have plenty of time to sit and enjoy that food. You have plenty of time to indulge in other things. And guess what? What's going to happen is as you push away from your calling, you ended up with a dead life. Guess what? If you push away what God made you for, you're going to feel dead because God is life and everything that's death is down. Guys, let's not be the kind of people who are pushing away, who are running from the call of God. Let's not be the kind of people because it might be our enemies, because it's somebody we can't stand. It's somebody we, we hate. that We wouldn't even go near them. We're running from the call of God. And I can see it in the church, guys. I can see it. We're so busy with the stuff of the world and we've lost track of the opportunity to share the gospel. We've lost track of taking the risk to engage people who are different than us. Many of us don't even have Christian or friends that are not Christians. And yet here's the thing. Jonah was called to this enemy empire, right? He was called to these Nazi-esque-like people, and he was told, go get them. And here, here, I'm not telling you, you're actually called to your enemy. You may be, but here's the point. God may not be calling you to your enemy. He may actually be calling you just to your next door neighbor, just to your friend, to your, to your fellow coworker, to the kid in your class. He may be calling you to, to reach out to your boss. He may be calling you to connect with that person online. And here's the crazy thing. Where Jonah is running from Assyria and his enemies who could kill him, we run from far less. We run from far less. We run from the fear of being asked a question. We run from people because we don't want to hurt something. There's so many excuses that we create and we run from far less than what Jonah does. And maybe the point of the satire is God calls you to the worst people to reveal to us who won't go to the easiest people to show it that it's in our hearts too. We're not running from the Assyrians. We're not running from a call to our worst enemies. We're simply running from the call of God to make disciples in many ways. And you may not be, but if you are and you're struggling with that, I see it in the church. I see it all over the place. People who are more concerned about other things in this world and their comforts than they are about the gospel, about their friends and where they're at. And I want to call us to something. 
I want to call us to repentance. I want to call us to come to God, as Joel said, not to tear our, our clothing, but to rend our hearts, to pour ourselves out. See, it's time to repent from our running. It's time to turn away from our, our sprint from God. It's time to remember that He loves, loves to rescue rebels at their worst. And we have been put on that mission. And we need to get engaged. And if we've been running, it's time now to turn around and to stop running. And that's where I want to begin. In the next couple of weeks, we are going to be giving away that gospel. We're going to be sharing it on this. We're going to be sharing it in the messages. We're going to be sharing that gospel because people need to hear that they can be saved. We need to be on that mission. And so maybe there are people in your heart right now that you've been running from. And I want you to think of those. Don't turn this off and skip to the end and go do something else. No, stay through this song. Stay through this thinking and take a time to repent. Over the next couple minutes, as this music is playing, bow your head right there in your home. And repent. Tell God, I'm so sorry I've run from these people. So let's do that right now. Bow your head right where you're at. And just turn to God and ask Him to forgive you for running from His calling. We are so sorry that we would run from the call that you have to save people. And whether we, we run to our entertainments, we run to finances, we run to so many things. Would you please forgive us? Would you see that we are opening our hearts up to you? God, break our hearts with what breaks yours. Move in us and show us where we need to connect. Make us a generation of revival. Make us a people unlike Jonah who run to your calling. God, make us a people that long to love others by showing them the way into heaven and take whatever time it takes, no matter where they're at spiritually. God, aid us, we pray. As we open our hearts to you, aid us, we pray. We turn to you now, away from our running. In Jesus' name, amen.